Hey, thanks for joining us online. I know this is so different for us, but I wanted to just quickly give you a couple uh, announcements. One is we're going to find creative ways to continue to connect during this uh, coronavirus situation that we're in. And we're going to try to do a number of different things online and through social media. So pay attention to your emails, your text messages, uh, Facebook, our website. We'll be rolling out a few things over the next few uh, weeks that we can figure out how to connect as a church family. One of the things that I want to let you know, we may not be meeting on Sunday, but our Value Life Ministries is continuing to meet on Wednesday to prepare bags of food. And then Friday, our street team will be going out to serve our friends that are living on the street. I also want to let you know that other ways that you can volunteer, if you are low at risk and feeling healthy and up to it, and you do not, you're not around others that are at risk, is the St. Vincent de Paul meal site that actually is meeting right here in our building. Uh, they're in need of volunteers. So if you'd like more information, just go ahead and email us at vineyardmilwaukee at gmail.com. And listen, this is a great time for you to actually be the church. Outside of four walls, you are the church. And so find out ways that you can actually love your neighbor and the people in your neighborhood that are in need. Be the church. And uh, keep checking those emails, text messages, and social media so we can find out some other creative ways that we're going to connect in the future. Love you. Miss you. See you soon. Good morning. Interestingly enough, we decided back in January... That is, we're entering the Lenten season, and we were discussing what our Lenten sermon series was going to be about. We decided to do a series on five questions that Jesus asks us. And months ago, the sermon that we decided upon to start our series, which was going to be delivered and is going to be delivered today, only three days after the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus a pandemic, that this would be based on the question Jesus asks us, why do you worry? I'm sure you're aware, but a pandemic is a global outbreak of a disease. And there's many examples in our history, the most recent being this one. The most deadly pandemic in history was the Spanish flu of 1918. This virus infected an estimated one third of the world's population and was responsible for causing between 20 million and 50 million deaths. That's an estimated one to 3% mortality rate. The last pandemic we experienced <clears throat> was the H1N1, also known as the swine flu. This pandemic took place in 2009 and 2010. And this was caused by a new strain of the same virus that actually caused the Spanish flu, known as the H1N1 virus. The swine flu infected an estimated 700 million to 1.4 billion people, which was far more in absolute terms than even the Spanish flu, but thankfully the mortality rate was far less. So here we are. We're facing the fear of an unknown and highly contagious virus, and the impact of this virus will not just be to our physical bodies, but it will be to our economy as well, which will, of course, have an impact on our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being, our social emotional health, with the canceling of so many public events, gatherings, the closing of schools, universities, tourist attractions, businesses, all kinds of individual people are going to be suffering. 
If you work in the tourist or service industry or if you're an hourly wage employee, you certainly are going to experience a significant and often devastating loss of wages. I think about the cruise that our, our family had an opportunity to go on last summer. And I think about the lovely waitress that we had all week named Michelle, who's Jamaican and whose children lived in Jamaica with extended family. And they relied on the income that she made on the cruise ship. And certainly cruises aren't going to be happening for a while. And so I think about her and her family and um, how scary this time must be for them and how devastating this loss of wages must be. And that's just one example of millions of stories that are happening all over the world right now. In fact, um, central banks and financial analysis are talking about a possible global recession in the coming months. And so we just don't know. We don't know the long-term impact that this is going to have. However, before COVID-19, before this pandemic, we Americans worried. We are the, the global leaders in anxiety and worry. Anxiety disorder is the most common mental illness in the United States. It's affecting 40 million adults in the United States, age 18 and over. That's 18.1% of the population every year, and we're leading this race with the highest rates of anxiety worldwide. American Psychiatric Association President Anita Everett, whose organization just sponsored a recent survey on anxiety, said that this poll shows U.S. adults are increasingly anxious, particularly around health, safety, and finances. According to the results of the survey, the two things causing the most anxiety to people are health, keeping themselves or their families safe, with finances being a close third. So clearly a pandemic that is having a direct impact on our health and finances is going to greatly increase the worry and anxiety of the people around us here in America. And I wonder about you, how much does this uncertainty, the instability of this pandemic create anxiety for you? Or in general, even before the coronavirus or in addition to the coronavirus, what did you worry about? Maybe you worry about your future, your career, your singleness, your marriage. Maybe you worry about what people think of you. Maybe you think about the purpose of your life, your value, your identity. If you're a mom like me, then you worry about your kids all the time. You worry about their well-being. You worry about their future. Uh, you worry about their safety. You worry about their mental and emotional health, their spiritual health. Actually, the day that I was beginning to prepare this sermon weeks ago, when I was just beginning to meditate on the scripture that I'll be talking about today, my daughter Abigail, who many of you know, who suffers with a seizure disorder, had an unusually intense and rather scary seizure. And although I've seen her at this point have hundreds of seizures in her 15 years, this one was a little more intense than usual. And I had to act quickly and administer several emergency meds and get her out of her chair. And all at once I'm, I'm praying and I'm, I'm trying to act and make decisions on her behalf. And I'm looking around to see where my phone is. And it was scary. My heart was beating fast. My hands were shaking. Thankfully, her seizure stopped and she was okay, but I wasn't. My heart sank, my spirit plummeted. I became afraid. 
And in those times, I have a temptation just to numb the pain or deny the fear. But something in me, I sense an invitation to just bring my pain and all my feelings before God. And so that day, I, I drove down to the lake just to spend some time in God's presence, just to spend some time processing everything I was feeling. And as I sat in his presence, I felt invited to tell the truth about what was happening inside of me. My initial feelings, quite honestly, were anger and confusion, frustration, because I sat there and I thought about the, the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. And I thought, how could you ask me, why do you worry? How could you ask me as a mom, watching her daughter go through something like that, knowing I'm responsible and I'm supposed to not worry? That feels like you're asking me to pass an impossible test. It feels unfair. And then my, my mind starts going to all kinds of places. What if this happened when I wasn't home? What if this happened with, a, with one of our caregivers or on the bus? What does her future look like? Are her seizures getting worse? What if we can't control them? What if there's no medication that's going to stop these? What if this means I can never be apart from her, that I can never travel or, or leave her under the care of somebody else? And my mind just starts going to all kinds of future scary places. And I've realized that oftentimes I get angry to sort of block out deeper feelings that are really going on at times like this. And so... As I sat there before God, I felt God kind of gently push below the anger and the frustration to really tap in what was really beneath that. And what was really beneath it was fear. I was really afraid. I was afraid of something bad happening that I couldn't prevent. And many of us are afraid too, aren't we? And our inability to stop bad things from happening or control all the variables in our lives creates worry. It creates anxiety. So why would Jesus turn around and ask us, why do you worry? Let's just take a minute and pray together, and then we're going to look at the scripture together. Lord, I, um, I just come before you, and I think of all the people who are, are listening and going to be listening to this. And I think about all the various things that we're feeling and thinking in a time like this this unprecedented time, at least in, in my lifetime. And I ask that you would bring peace that passes understanding, that you would turn our hearts and minds to you, that you would fill us with, with hope and with courage and with wisdom. And I pray you would just put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the scripture found in Matthew says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I wonder how you feel when you're facing a serious problem and someone just pats you on the back and says, don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Personally, I actually sometimes feel a little angry or unseen. How can you say everything's going to be all right when it may not actually be all right? Maybe you feel patronized and you want to say, what do you know about what I'm going through? You've never gone through anything like this. But we need to step back here as we listen to the words of Jesus and realize who it is that is saying to us three times, do not worry. This is not the patronizing comment of an insensitive religious person. The person who says three times, do not worry, is not sitting in a jacuzzi in a 30,000 square foot house with investment properties all over the world. This is Jesus talking to us. And as the great German pastor of the last generation, Helmut Thielich put it, these words, don't worry, were spoken to us by a person who looked into the future and could see the darkness coming. The person who said, don't worry, was someone whose life on earth was anything but bird-like and lily-like. When Jesus says to us, don't worry, we need to listen to him because he saw in his own life and sees in our lives all the demonic menaces, all the brokenness, all the dangers, all the hurts, all the threats. We're not listening to some romantic poet or some nature lover. Look at the birds, look at the lilies. It is interesting that one of Jesus's followers, a man who wrote half the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, said something very similar in Philippians 4, 6, when he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. When Paul wrote these words, he actually wrote them from prison. He was facing a time of great relational conflict. All kinds of people were speaking horrible things about him. People who basically made it their aim to make Paul's life miserable. And Paul was also looking at the prospect of being put to death. So he's in prison. He knows he's facing a potential death. He has all kinds of people slandering against him. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. And yet the Apostle Paul says, don't worry, even if you have a cancer diagnosis or one of your kids is making disastrous life choices or you're out of work. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything. There's a story in the Gospels about Jesus riding in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. You might be familiar with the story. And the sea, there's a storm coming, and there's waves, and the boat's being rocked, and waves are flowing over the boat, and they might be capsized or might drown, and there's all kinds of fear and chaos ensuing, and the disciples are getting all worked up, and they're like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Well, what was Jesus doing? He was taking a cat nap. He was sleeping like a baby in the middle of these storms while all the disciples are flipping out. Jesus is just taking a nap. See, we always labor under the misconception that if the seas are calm, that if we're just experiencing smooth sailing with our health or our kids or our marriage or our job or with our boyfriend and girlfriend or in our work, if the sea was calm in my life, I wouldn't worry. But Jesus and the Apostle Paul are getting something very profound here and very important. 
They are saying that worry is not produced by your or my external circumstances. Worry comes from inside of you and inside of me. Worry is an internal problem, not an external problem. The waves are actually inside of us. So how can you stop worrying in light of all your personal problems that were there before COVID-19 and in light of this current unknown future that we're facing together? What does a faithful response look like in the weeks ahead? Well, Matthew 6, 25 through 29 says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. It's really important just to take a minute and note here what Jesus is saying in the text and what he is not saying. Jesus is saying to us, we can live free from worry. What he is not saying, what he is not promising, is that you can be free from trouble. Jesus says you can live a worry-free life, but he never, ever, in contrast to almost all of American Christianity, says you can live a trouble-free life. He points us to the grass of the fields, but he tells us that the grass of the fields eventually die and are gathered up and thrown into the fire. He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet, yet not one of them falls to the ground outside your father's care. But the fact remains that the birds of the air do fall to the ground, that they do die. And people fall and they do die. Jesus doesn't promise us a trouble-free life. In fact, it is significant that at the end of this section on not worrying, Jesus specifically tells us that we will have trouble. Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's clear that we're going to have trouble because of the fallen nature of us and our world. Bad things will happen to us and we will eventually die. But Jesus says worrying about this will not add a single hour to our life. Here's the deal. When something like this happens, like the coronavirus pandemic is happening right now, it's kind of a wake up to the world, especially to those in developed countries like ours. Considering death doesn't just bring us face to face with our mortality, but it also brings us face to face with what are our lives for? What are we living for? Kathy Keller, who's the wife of the theologian Tim Keller, said, I think part of the worldwide panic that we're seeing is because people have made an idol out of controlling all the factors in their lives so that they can eliminate any potential for risk or illness or disease. And this is just breaking through all of their controls. So part of it is, I think we've made an idol, especially in this country, of being able to control the circumstances so nothing bad can get to us. So what do we do? What do we do instead of worrying? What do we do instead of trying to control all the circumstances that truly we have no control over? 
How can we be a non-anxious and generous presence in our community during this fearful time? What does Jesus say we should do instead, instead of worrying? Let's look again at verse 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Jesus is saying, do you want to stop worrying? Do you want to overcome worry in your life to do that? You're going to have to get to the root of the problem. What do you really want? What's your supreme ambition? What's your dream of the good life? Because the truth is that most of us have a dream of a good life. And then that is under threat. If the good life for, for you means having a few happy, well-adjusted children, successful children, if that's what the good life in this world is, then that is absolutely under threat. You may find yourself unable to have a child. You may, f you may have a child like mine that has a physical disability. You may have a child who struggles with mental illness. You may have a child who makes disastrous life choices. You may have a child who gets into an accident. If you allow what Jesus calls in this passage, the Gentiles, and he's just referring to those who do not know God, to define for you what the good life is, then that good life is always going to be subject to threat and you will have good reasons to worry. The Gentiles say the good life is having a certain kind of job, making a certain income, having a certain type of house, measuring up in, in, in the eyes of their parents or in the eyes of the community. That's what those who don't know God call the good life. But Jesus says, if you want to lay an ax to the root of your worry, then you must redefine the good life for yourself and have this single ambition. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So how do we do that? How do we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What is the kingdom of God? Well, it's the place where God is in charge. It's the place where he reigns and rules. To seek first the kingdom of God is to desire Jesus to rule over your emotions, your relationships, over your speech, over your money, over your entertainment choices, over your sex life, over your dating, over your work, every aspect of your life. To give him rule and reign over every part of your life. When Jesus returns, God's kingdom will be fully established here on earth. There will be no more viruses, no pandemics, or death. But now, during this in-between time, while we are still facing these troubles, we who follow Jesus experience his kingdom through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in us and among us. And then, having ruled over you and me to seek first the kingdom of God is saying, I want to see Jesus reign in a larger circle, not just inside of me, but I want him to reign over those that are near me, those that I love, over people in my family, people that I work with, into my extended family. And then I want to see Jesus' reign and rule spreading out into the community. And that drives our missional choices that we make. If I want to see Jesus' reign and rule come into the world, I want to see a spread of his righteousness, his justice, goodness, and healing to spread out into the world around us. If seeking God's kingdom and God's justice is your single ambition, then Jesus says you have nothing to worry about. Nothing can touch that. 
It doesn't matter if you end up in a nursing home or in a hospital room, if you end up single or married with no kids or lots of kids in a difficult marriage, struggling with this problem or that, struggling with your finances. Whatever happens, whatever situations you might be facing, we can humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and have more of God's reign and rule in our lives. And what is his righteousness? Writer Julie Cameron, she describes righteousness in this way. She says, the Vines Dictionary defines righteousness as the character or quality of being right or just. So the righteousness of God is essentially the same as his faithfulness and truthfulness. And it is consistent with his nature and promises. In essence, the entire character of God depends on his ability to always do the right thing. For humanity, God's righteousness, this character quality of being right or just, was demonstrated in Jesus. Since he created mankind with a choice, knowing beforehand that we would sin, God's righteousness was validated when he sent Jesus in the world to redeem it. In other words, he did not leave the consequences of that choice on the shoulders of humanity. Rather, God's actions proved consistent with his righteous nature because God will always be faithful to mankind. Jesus demonstrated this. So rather than worry, we remember through the indwelling spirit that we belong to him. We were bought at a price. And the kingdom of God is established on earth in us and through us. This is what we are to seek. This is what we are to live our lives for. And his righteousness reminds us that God will never leave us to our own devices. Because of his righteousness, he did not leave the consequences of our sin, including COVID-19, on our shoulders. But rather, he provided the solution, redeemed us from financial ruin, relational strife, fear of the future, sickness, and even death through the provision of his son, Jesus, and his death on the cross and his resurrection to eternal life. He was and will always be faithful to us. As the 17th century British Anglican poet said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. In the end, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have nothing to fear. For those of you who are still exploring your faith and considering Jesus, I would urge you to bow the knee to him today. He is truly our only hope and the only sure thing we have in this world. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you as well. Amen.